Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnick. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against them, right? Evan Novi-Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Mike Oresco, he's the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Then the race car driver, Elio Castro. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scott Sartnick. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. We have two major topics, but let's start, first of all, with NFL labor. They have come to an agreement, uh, but there are a lot of questions. Scott, this thing only passed by 60 votes. Yeah, 1,019 to 959 with a whole lot of players sitting it out, which I don't understand why any player, and I know there's a lot going on in the world, but you did have plenty of time to vote. Uh, A lot of guys just stood on the sideline. It would worry me if I'm Damaris Smith or if I'm any member of that union that an agreement with this much importance and this many implications barely passed because anything that happens in the future and whether it's a disciplinary case or or any 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 sort of problem you're going to have a whole bunch of players saying this is why we voted against it and there might be a better way in the future because this just needed a simple majority to pass so it's 50 percent plus one to pass. Perhaps in the future, because there is so much riding on this, and we're talking, and I'm sure we'll get into it, TV deals and the like, and and penalties and compensation, because there's so much riding on this, maybe a two-thirds majority would be a better idea. And to your point, Scott, you know, the most vocal players, the stars in the league, were the ones who were the most vocal against this deal happening. Whether it's, you know, Richard Sherman, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, J.J. Watt, you know, the biggest voices in the league didn't want this to pass. Uh, and the reason it did, or, or one of the main reasons it did, the minimum salary for the NFL, that went up $100,000 and will go up almost $500,000 over the next few years. More than 60% of NFL players make league minimum. 
You know, so as long as you can get all the, the league minimum people to vote yes on this, which, you know, my guess is there was an overwhelming majority of them who did, you know, then the the the, the stakeholders like Aaron Rodgers and J.J. Watt, you know, their, their vote gets diluted. And, you know, so one of the reasons I think this thing passed is because, you know, the, the, the financial benefits for the people who make the least were so high, but they are the least vocal when it comes to kind of day-to-day operations and, and what the fans think about when they think about the league. Well, the thing that I am that bothers me is that it wasn't just a few. It wasn't just a hundred. We're talking over around five hundred players that did not vote for this. So if things go south down the road ten years from now, or even five years from now, how can these players say anything? Yeah, well, Evan, I, and I think you and I would agree. One of the pieces. Uh, that drew criticism is the length of the contract. In today's yep. world, with the rapid change, to do a 10-year deal uh, without any reopeners, without any opt-outs, why not do two, three? I mean, and I know why the NFL wants it. The NFL wanted this deal done because they are embarking on new media deals. And we have had some folks like Lee Burke, friend of the program, tell us that they could double their haul in media contracts because it's just such must-have programming and you don't want to negotiate those deals in a backdrop of labor uncertainty. That's out of the way. But 10 years, boy, if you do find something that doesn't work for your side or there is some tweak you wish you, you're done. I mean, you're committed for a decade in a sport where the average length of a career is only about three years. So that is, I mean, I think that explains the the folks who didn't participate or the I want to get mine now nature of this whole negotiation. It is very hard to get the rank and file of the NFL to think about other groups and that whether it's retirees or incoming rookies we've seen in the past. Those are the two groups that are easiest to not care about because they're mm-hmm. technically not in your union right now. So uh, we'll, we'll see where this progresses. But the the grab of I want mine now uh, could have some long term implications. Some other big you know things that happened in this deal, which we've talked about before. But the NFL will will expand to a 17 game regular season, starting not this 2020 season, but the one after that. The playoffs will get wider, also from 12 teams to 14. That will happen uh, this season in in 2020. And Scott, as you talk about you know 10 years down the line or, or potential you know conversations in that span. The players have essentially lost their their one big bargaining chip, right? The the 17th game, which a lot of people were outspoken about, um, that was kind of the the one thing the players had in this. Uh, and now, you know, as you move forward, th- that's gone. I, I'm curious if you think, because we saw a couple weeks ago, you know, there was a story out there, NFL owners not happy with this deal, kind of won an 18th regular season game. I'm curious if you think in, in four or five years, the players will have another bargaining chip and that will be the 18th regular season game uh, in the middle of this deal. It, it, depending on what the media contracts look like. Yeah. What, what do they need? What are the bidders? And when we're looking next time around, I think you and I agree. And I think the industry agrees that for the most part, it'll be the traditional linear broadcast networks that dominate this round of negotiations. We'll have some participation from the tech companies uh, and the fangs, but the one after that is going to have a markedly different look. The technology will be better. Uh, Streaming numbers will continue to soar. The ability to direct advertise and data will matter more. At that point, 
what do those companies need and what are they willing to pay for? Uh, how personal will the OTTs look? You know, whether it's a betting OTT, I don't know. But surely the ability to add more of the live content, which in the NFL seems to be the real driver, unlike some other sports, and we'll talk about your your NBA uh, take uh, future shows, but the one where you admitted you were possibly wrong. Um, possibly. But, Just possibly. Yeah, possibly. I don't want to say you committed to it. Uh, but... Yeah, more games, more inventory, more money. I mean, that that's just the simple math here that that's what the NFL can do. They can add games and then slice and dice packages and get more money from more bidders. I mean, it's it's a simple formula. I thought that, uh, and before we move on, I thought that the extra playoff, two extra teams in the playoffs, that wasn't going to happen until maybe 2021. But there's a chance it could happen this upcoming season. Yeah, and, and one kind of one more question to think about as we transition into into the other major story in sports right now. The the coronavirus and the slowdown of US sports has hit media companies, I think, fairly significantly and will continue to. You know, CBS lost one of its most important sports pieces, the NCAA tournament, NBC is losing golf, you know, Fox is losing things as well, ESPN obviously losing a ton of content. Do you think that the the financial ramifications of this slowdown might actually affect the amount of money the the NFL can can pry out of them in the next round of labor talks? You know, six point five billion dollars a year is roughly what the NFL gets right now from its T V partners. Do you think there is a potentially long-term effect in, in, on the business for, for those partners moving forward as a result of this and may result in, in being able to offer less? I'd say no, Eben, because there have been shutdowns before. There are givebacks. There are make goods. The NFL can still dictate because it's the 850-pound gorilla. Uh, it mm -hmm. is the most reliable eyeball draw in television that will not change because of it. If anything, you have to imagine the thirst for sports when these leagues do come back online. And by the way, mm. coming back at a pivotal time, their playoffs, uh, you're gonna, I think you're going to see a lot of eyeballs confirming the need and value for this programming. Well, you talk the NFL about is King Kong at the front door, to, use, uh, to quote uh, Steve Coonan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There, there you go. Yeah. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. 
I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, and, and yes, is the 850-pound gorilla in the forest, but with this coronavirus, and I'm not being funny, the forest is on fire because there's nothing out there now and and we don't know when they're going to come back. The NBA is talking about maybe, uh, Adam Silver, maybe around June. Uh, I mean, we can go on. There, There's a question if they're going to uh, run the Kentucky Derby, move it back a couple of months. I mean, I can go on and on. And, and I got to tell you, I, we were talking about the, the Tokyo Olympics. I, I do not see now how in the world – when you bring the entire world together, and that's what you're trying to avoid from this virus, how are you going to hold the Olympics? Bar, I mean, you're right on. There's just a lot of uncertainty. But you saw the steps the leagues were taking, and it really indicates the value of the TV. The first thing the leagues wanted to do was play games in empty arenas. Well, why? Because they could sacrifice the gate revenue and the concessions and the per cap because they were getting their TV money. So in a world where we just don't know, um, you saw Mark Cuban say, yeah, maybe we'll, pay in, we'll play in June, June, July, August. I mean, at some point, these leagues will be able to return. It's just a matter of what can you do? Are the players ready to play? What kind of uh, warm-up and training camp do they need? What is feasible? Um, and it's too to tell. And the Olympics are in the same thing. And Eben covers that more closely than I do. Um, you had one member of the local organizing committee say we're thinking about postponement, and let's just say that person got shattered down pretty quickly, right, Evan? Yeah, that's true, and 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 you're absolutely right, Michael. And it goes to what I think is a kind of a larger point that I feel right now. I, I still don't think that the leagues, kind of writ large, are listening fully, at least publicly. The things they're saying are not jibing with the things that scientists are saying. I mean, the idea that in in thirty days basketball or hockey can continue seems highly unlikely when the CDC is out there saying gatherings of 50 or more people can't happen for the next two months. You know, a lot of these leagues, golf, tennis, NASCAR, a lot of these, you know, governing bodies have canceled just a few weeks of events, you know, if that. And and Michael, as you know, you know, how many people, if you take even fans out, how many people are working at a NASCAR event between pit crew, drivers, scouts, whole things, you know, it's hundreds of people. Right. So if the CDC is out there saying for two weeks, gatherings of 50 people can't happen, you know, a hockey game, you know, just the rosters alone is almost 50 people at, at an NHL game. Uh, so I do think we're looking at a much longer period than maybe some of these sports leagues are at least publicly uh, willing to admit right now. And, and real quick on the Olympics. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. The weirdest thing to me about what the IOC is doing is that they are unwilling to even entertain the idea publicly that, that the games may get postponed or canceled, um, which I think is, is potentially detrimental to athletes around the world who are trying to figure out what's realistic and what isn't. Um, but, you know, leagues here in the U.S. have been at least talking about 
the virus for, for, for weeks now, if not months, and, and the potential changes it might have. The IOC and the local Japanese host committee in Tokyo are essentially saying that they have not even considered any other opportunities, um, which one, I don't particularly believe, but two, you know, I think it would be more you know, beneficial if they were at least open to, to discussing maybe things that were on their mind. Bar, those yeah. are like, you know, these are top line issues. We haven't even talked about things like um, arena debt, uh, yeah. And yeah. You, I mean, you need you need the revenue streams to pay back the debt on these buildings. That that's part of it. We we've talked uh, some about insurance companies, and we're not sure. We know what the leagues have with the players' unions. Can it? How much can it cover if they're not played? Some of these are publicly traded companies that need the event. So it's just it's just an unprecedented situation. I have, and, and we're just not sure where it's going to head yet. I have never seen anything in terms of just. Everything shut down. I mean, yes, when 9-11 happened, we had that happen before, but we knew there was going to be a period of mourning and then things were going to restart. When it comes to this, we don't know when this is going to pick up. And and, and we, even with gambling, it's like, you know, if you don't have a sports betting room, you have no sports in there. Uh, how are you going to bet? And now you got casinos in Las Vegas. They're shutting down. I mean, this this is a mess. I spent some time in New Jersey over the weekend and DraftKings was pushing uh, both uh, Daily Fantasy on the Democratic debate, you know, how many times Joe oh, Biden man. would say the word Trump, et cetera, uh, and also pushing their blackjack product, um, obviously, because there's not much to bet on, as you yeah. said, but but they can still people can still gamble uh, online. Uh, so, yes, I mean, no question. Sports gambling companies uh, not in a good place right now. Ticketing companies, you know, if you're. If your revenue relies on people buying tickets uh, to concerts, uh, Broadway shows, or sporting events, you know, obviously uh, things are not good right now. Scott, you mentioned stadium debt, stadium construction. You know, we have two multi-billion dollar stadiums in the NFL that are set to open, supposed to open this fall for NFL season. Um, I, I would think there's a decent chance that construction on, on both of those gets uh, gets changed timeline-wise as a well, result of this. I mean, I mean, there's you might there's well so much talking about. Yeah, you got to mention we're talking about the six billion dollar stadium Stan Kroenke's building in L.A. and Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Yep. What what if construction yeah, has to stop? Vegas. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That, that, where do they play? <laughs> what, yeah. what, mm. Just the trickle down questions. We have no answers. That's the problem. I mean, we're we're not suggesting we have any answers out. We are just pointing out that there are myriad questions that are keeping commissioners, owners, executives up at night. And I'll say it again. One big time sports executive told me that the entire leadership team of the franchise is spending 80% of its time on Corona related issues. My guess, since he said that comment, we're probably up to 95%. Yeah, it's probably a little, a little higher now. One other one to toss out there, esports. I, I think that, you know, there's a big opportunity here for professional video gaming in a world in which there's no traditional sports out there. And, and as we talk about, you know, networks that might need content, sports bettors that might need something uh, to, to satisfy their, their itch to gamble, fans out there who are just looking to watch competitions as well. Uh, a lot of these big esports leagues are shifting their capacities to go online only, uh, and they will be able to have competitions. And I, and I do think that you're going to start to see, as networks like ESPN and Fox start to figure out, okay, what are we actually doing with programming? How long might this last? I do think there may be a push and, and a drive of more sports fans finding esports now that they're just running out of other things to watch and to do. Who would have thought I would gambling be? Gambling companies should uh, send their, their customer lists to uh, the esports companies. 
We should buy those lists. Yes. I was going to say, who thought that I would, would be, be smart. like my 15-year-old would now be the expert in this with eSports. Uh, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> he's your tout. Yeah, he's my tout. Yeah. This has been the Bloomberg <laughs> Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr along with Scott Sashnick and Evan Lee-Williams. We are here. And when I say here, that's Evan's at his place. I'm at my place. Barr, you're at uh, the command center. Good for you. But we do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with the biggest and the brightest in the sports business world. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.